Welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. What's up, Nittany Lion fans? Welcome back to the Nittany Blues podcast. We are here to recap Penn State's 45-14 victory over the Indiana Hoosiers. Penn State moves to 7-2 on the season overall and had a nice bounce-back performance after their tough loss against Ohio State. So Vince, what were some of your takeaways from this most recent Penn State win? Uh, There were a lot of great takeaways from this game. Uh, Our defensive line, their play was absolutely elite. And that's exactly what you want to see. Uh, so I looked at the stats. We had 15 tackles for loss, six sacks, and three interceptions. So if insane, you, if you uh, put that up in statistics for their 63 plays, the 15 tackles for loss and the six sacks, 21 plays for loss out of 63. That's one third percentage that Indiana was going backwards. And that was the really critical point in the game, especially when Sean threw that bad interception in the first half, kind of kind of like we expected to that to happen, like kind of one fluky play. And uh the defense responded greatly. Uh they had they were in field goal range there at the 20 yard line, and our defense forced them 25 yards backwards. So they gave up zero points off of that turnover. And that was huge. For Penn State in this game. Uh, yeah, so I, I put it on the defensive line today. How, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I thought that this, I mean, obviously the defense was flying, but I thought this was a really nice overall team performance. Um, you know, I think that this game just again proves that this Penn State team is a bit different from the teams that we've seen in past years because a major characteristic of past seasons has been stacked losses. Like Penn State comes out flat, they have an uninspired performance after a loss and especially after a tough loss against an in-conference opponent like Ohio State or Michigan and that hasn't been the case so far this year. Um, you know, Penn State bounced back nicely with a whiteout win over Minnesota. And then obviously they came out yesterday and had the performance that they have or that they had. So I think that this is a, a nice indication that Penn State is making some progress in the right direction. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with not only, you know, the defense uh, playing a great game yesterday, but also marked improvement by the offensive line. I mean, are they playing to the level that they want them to yet? Um, not exactly yet. Um, are they up to the standards of like Michigan and Ohio State? No, but they're making improvements in the right direction and they deserve some recognition for that because, uh, you know, we were able to run all over them. Um, we're definitely going to be talking a lot about Katron Allen in this episode. But yeah, I just thought that, you know, once they kind of got off to the races after a couple of slow drives to start the game, they just kept Indiana at arm's reach pretty much the entire way. Yeah, it, it was really good play by the offensive line. And that's something you like to see, especially with a couple starters out and players getting injured during the game. You love that next man up mentality and they, they stepped up, they played well on the road. It took them a little while to get going, but once they got going, uh, you knew Penn state was just going to run away with this football game. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think what's also uh, pretty noteworthy as well is that we had some new faces on the offensive line this week. Uh, Penn State was without star left tackle Olu Fashanu, and uh, in his place was Drew Shelton, another true freshman, uh, you know, highly touted guy out of high school, but still very young, very inexperienced. I thought he did a pretty good job, and I thought the offensive line overall had a pretty nice performance. Uh, we saw a little bit of um, turnover at the left guard position after Hunter Norzad went down with an injury. We saw Juco transfer um, J.B. Nelson in there. But overall, even with uh, some new faces in there, even with the rotation that was necessary because of those injuries, I thought they, they played pretty well. And, you know, that's uh, that's what I really want, wanted to see. It was just, you know, we don't need to have, um, you know, a absolutely insane offensive line all year, but I want them to have, you know, consistent play across the board to at least start with. And I think that's kind of the point that we're getting to. Yeah, and to have 179 rushing yards while missing a couple of your best linemen on the road after a tough loss against Ohio State, that's that's all you want out of a football team. Uh, a little short of my communion prediction, I thought they'd get to the 200 mark, but outstanding performance. Uh, here, here's something that I wanted to talk to you about. While I was watching uh, the two quarterbacks, and this is becoming a constant theme on the podcast, uh, do you think it is time to roll with Drew Alar? So I think that Penn State has a pretty good thing set up right now for the next game. Um, because I actually did like the fact that they started with Sean, they kind of got the ball rolling, and then they were able to kind of hand the keys over to Drew and let him run the offense, like not go in and have, um, you know, a canned set of plays where he was either looking for one guy um, or he was going to be handing the ball off. I thought that we saw everything that we wanted to see from Drew yesterday. Uh, you know, I I personally did not need to see him throwing 30 or 40 yard bombs. Um, you know, it wasn't necessary in yesterday's game, especially given the elements. There's going to be plenty of chances for us to see him do that. What I wanted to see was him command the offense, call out protections, change the plays when needed, um, and really just uh, look composed in the moment. And I thought that he did everything or he did all of that. And then some, um, you know, and he had some really nice passes in there. Uh, so do I think that they should be rolling with him entirely from this point on? I think that we're probably, and I, I kind of would agree with this approach. I think that they're going to let Sean start against Maryland, um, to see if he can get, you know, the offense going, um, put some points on the board, maybe build up a lead and then hand the hand the keys over to Drew again. But it wouldn't surprise me if we saw Drew start against Rutgers. Yeah, when I saw Drew today and you look at the stats, the numbers are just better. He completed nine out of 12 passes, 75 percent versus Clifford's 15 out of 23. So you're looking at about two thirds. That's close to a 10 percent drop off. Alar had two touchdowns, zero sacks, zero interceptions. Sean had no touchdowns, an interception, and a sack. Part of that you can attribute to the running game, but just when you watched Drew move around, he moves just as well, and he's bigger. That's an advantage when you're an offensive player. You're, you're harder to take down if you're bigger. And when he throws that ball, 
it comes comes out of there like a laser. Like he was oh, just man. yeah darts <laughs> everywhere, and it was right on the money. Um, Sean had that bad throw behind Brenton Strange that led to the interception. Uh, so I, Drew just from the eye test looks so much better, and it's kind of I think we'll get away with it just because of who we're playing the next three weeks. But let's say we get to the Orange Bowl and we're playing, which looks like it might be a Clemson or a North Carolina. I think we're going to have a hard time winning against a team like that with Sean at behind center as opposed to Drew Lar. So you're saying that you would uh, you'd roll with Drew the rest of the season now? Yeah, I would just because he's better. Now, I, I do understand like, you would feel bad for Sean because he's been nothing but an awesome guy. And, you know, I'm sure uh, Coach Franklin has almost like a almost like a father son type of relationship because they've been together for like six years and, you know, recruiting from high school. And he's done a good job overall. Like you can't complain about a guy who helped you win the Fiesta Bowl. So he's done a lot of great things, but it's just clear when you put on the film and you can see that from the eye test, Alar is a better football player. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's definitely a case to be made there. I, like I said, I think that Franklin's still going to be rolling with this uh, two quarterback system because I think what he's trying to do at this point is get, uh, is get out of those reps uh, since his redshirt is already burned and all that stuff. And, you know, you have a guy that that's talent who is that talented. So you want to get him onto the field. Um, so, I mean, I, Honestly, I would be fine if they started him next week. I just kind of liked what they did um, since there was like some continuity and some sense of uh, normalcy with Sean in the offense. I mean, now granted, that's not to speak to the the effectiveness of said offense, but you know, Sean had been the guy who was taking those first snaps in the first half of the season, so I kind of liked it from that aspect. But I do agree with you that you know from from a just pure eye test perspective, Drew looks like the real deal. And I mean, like that one that he threw to Harrison Wallace in the back of the end zone. I mean, that was just an absolute frozen rope. I mean, I haven't seen a ball thrown that hard from a Penn state quarterback, probably since Christian Hackenberg. I mean, that thing came out like a, like a laser, like you said. So, I mean, I'm, I'm super happy uh, to like see him like have the opportunity to like change the plays, um, read what the defense is doing and to, you know, make the, make uh, those kinds of adjustments. I think it speaks volumes to what Drew is going to be able to do now that he's getting these reps. So, you know, I just think that all signs look good. Um, I, think that, you know, if they continue this progression, I mean, Vince, I think you might be getting your wish here in a game or two. I think that, like I said, I think there's a real chance that Drew starts and plays pretty much the entire game against Rutgers. That's my prediction. That's a good prediction. I I like it. Uh, However, I think this just means that Clifford's lease is going to be very short. Uh, I I think that Coach Franklin is going to give him – kind of the, uh, you know, the, the he's going to put his, his faith in him until something goes wrong, like it did against Ohio State. However, in my opinion, that was already enough for me to see that, hey, we need to roll with this freshman. It is time. Uh, right. I think Coach Franklin's going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But I do think that kind of the idea of the leash has kind of changed, like, the calculus of that has really changed because now it's not a, you know, 
wait until Sean does something bad to like hand the offense over to Drew. I think it's like from the onset, we have this plan that we're going to let Sean start the first half, let Drew start the second half if all goes well. And we have like whatever lead that we want to in that situation. So, I mean, I guess you could call it a leash, but it's like if things just start to go south immediately in the first half, then it's like an easy, like, okay, well, you know, like we're in this position, we're not getting it done with Sean. So let's give the, give the, uh, the reins over to drew. So I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird to talk about like him having a short leash because I think that like, like we've seen, we've seen from Franklin in the past that Sean can have these multi interception games and he'll stay in like pretty much the entire game, but we haven't had a backup like drew Aller at Penn state. So I think there's a, there's a chance that we might still see this system. Um, But I think the, like the idea from a coaching perspective that, you know, if, things start to go poorly with Sean and, you know, you, if you don't think that you can turn it around with him, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it just changes the outlook of that a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, this is NCAA Division One football. Uh, this is all about getting wins. So Coach Franklin said going into this game, we're playing the quarterback. That gives us the best chance to go 1-0. Sean went in, took care of business, did what he needed to do, had the one bad interception. However, you put Drew in, he's clearly better. So I, I think that Coach Franklin is not going to allow him to just be like, okay, four interceptions is fine against Ohio State, four turnovers. Like I think if he has like one turnover, one, two turnovers, he's yanking him out and putting Drew in because I, I think it's very clear that Drew's ready. He's he's adjusted very well to the college game and he's ready to roll and be potentially uh, a Heisman candidate in a year or two. Yeah, one can hope. I mean, if he's able to, you know, maintain the accuracy along with the arm strength, I mean, it's uh, the sky's the limit, you know? So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll obviously be uh, waiting for those high flying passing attack moments um, with the slew of young receivers that they have and the likes of, uh, of Harrison Wallace of Omari Evans. And, you know, what's kind of even funny is that, you know, we, we talk all the time about, uh, Clifford versus Aller in terms of the quarterback position, but Aller is actually developing kind of a nice chemistry with Liam Clifford. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're probably going to be talking about Aller to Clifford, you know, for the next uh, couple of years, which I just think is, I mean, that's just like Penn state, uh, football, um, happenings to, to a T where it's like, you know, we have all these debates about the quarterback, but then a guy with the very like same last name is going to be catching passes from the guy that everybody wants the backup to, or, you know, from the backup who everybody wants to replace the starter. I just think that's pretty funny. It is that that probably has never happened in the history of college football at any program. And it's funny to see, uh, drew having a better connection with Liam than his brother does. Well, I mean, you got to give it the, like the the benefit of, or the the fact that like he's what like a third string guy, so he's not going to be out there with Sean to start the game. Yeah, so. they're not going to play together much, right? But speaking of the receivers, I think that you know going back to Minnesota, they look awesome. Um, Mitchell Tinsley looks like he had magnet hands. Um, you know, he had some insane snags and I mean, that just goes for pretty much all of the pass catchers. Um, Brenton strange obviously had that. I mean, he, that, 
that might be the best catch I've ever seen a Penn State tight end make, the one that he snagged over the defender's shoulder. I mean, that was just absolutely incredible. So I've been super happy with the wide receiver play um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, I think that, yeah, my uh, my communion prediction fell short because I thought that Parker Washington would have another um, – hundred yard receiving day, but you know, the elements were there and the running game was going, so he didn't hit that mark. But overall, I was super happy uh, with the receivers. So are you in that same boat? Like, do you think that this receiver group has kind of turned a page from uh, some of the frustrating drops and are now um, just kind of a reliable part of this offense? Yeah, they've made a huge jump this season and I'm really impressed with, with the depth of this unit. You have Mitchell Tinsley, making some grown man catches. You have Parker Washington, who's awesome. Speaking of, it looked like he was going backwards on that one play. Just got like pushed back. And then just, I was like, okay, there's an empty space now. I'm just going to run forward. Like somehow that happened. That was kind of crazy. Uh, you you have uh, Keandre Lambert and Harrison Wallace, who are absolute speedsters. They're wicked fast. Uh, Amari Evans looks, looks legit. So Liam, Liam Clifford out there making some nice catches. So it, it's just awesome seeing the depth. And this, I think this is looking bright for the Nittany Lions in the future. For some yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that, you know, we have these speedy guys who are going to be able to stretch the field and you have a guy uh, like Drew who is going to be able to uh, deliver the ball to them Um if they're able to get that separation. So, I mean, that's, that's extremely exciting. Um, but looking to other parts of the offense, uh, let's talk about our freshman running back. So, I mean, obviously the guy of the day, uh, it's hard to go against Katron Allen. I mean, just an absolute, uh, stud performance, three touchdowns, um, nearly a hundred rushing yards, but over 150, uh, scrimmage yards with, uh, some nice, uh, catch and runs. So, I mean, I honestly think that he looks like a bona fide RB one at this point. Yeah. That's one of the questions. I, I think he's almost gone ahead of Nick Singleton. Not, I think it's, I don't think it's one a one B anymore. I think it's one, two and they're both going to get their touches, but Katron's vision is just immaculate. Like he right. always goes to the right spot is always getting yards. He even got involved in the passing game today, which isn't typical that's something you'd more expect from uh, from uh, Nick Singleton with his speed. You would expect that more, but you know, Katron Katron was the man today. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's like honestly, when I when I watch him, it almost makes me just think that he's a slightly faster Noah Kane. You know, like he's uh, making those cuts, he's getting those hard yards after contact, but he does have you know, a little bit of speed to like kind of cut through the defense. Like we saw on that one catch and run. I mean, like he doesn't have Nick Singleton's just, you know, blow by his speed, but he's not slow by any means. So, you know, I think that Penn state has some good rapport with him, uh, starting out of the backfield. And I love, uh, bringing Nick into, uh, like, honestly, that running back cost I think is like perfect for Nick, you know, get him moving in one direction and put a couple blockers in front of him and give them the chance to kind of beat a guy one-on-one, maybe get around him with some speed and take it up the field. Like, I think that's perfect for him right now. Um, because I think that running between the tackles, uh, Nick has just 
not as much like vision and patience as Katron. So it seems like he just kind of runs in one direction as hard as he can and gets whatever yards are there. Whereas Katron is kind of like waiting for the block to develop. So, you know, I, I think that uh, that's a part of the, that's a part of Nick's game that I think he's going to develop because he's just too talented and too smart of a football player not to. Uh, but for the time being, I mean, we're in a pretty good position, you know, with this uh, uh, two headed monster at freshman running back. Yeah, this is so exciting to see. Uh, I think Katron Allen is definitely a lot better now overall. I do think Nick Singleton has more of the potential to be a star in the NFL. But um, I, I think the coaching staff, they'll, they'll do a good job. They'll coach him up. He'll get better. Seems like a really hard worker. Uh, so I, I look forward to seeing how both those guys develop in the upcoming years. And we're lucky. We, we have two studs for two more years. Right. And I think, you know... It- we're talking so much about the running game, which obviously deserves um, like a ton of praise from yesterday's performance. But a big part of that has been the blocking of the tight ends. You know, you see uh, Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson and even Tyler Warren out there doing a really, really awesome job blocking for those running backs. So not only are they uh, making a big impact in the passing game, but they're doing a great job blocking as well. So I think they're starting to kind of uh, broach that, James Franklin claim of best tight end group because collectively they're making a huge difference. Yeah. And we didn't even mention Theo Johnson in our like laundry list of receiver threats. So right. Yeah. Just that's how many weapons this Penn state offense has. And yeah, this is why I truly believe they can be really special next year with drew a at the helm with all of these weapons. Like, I feel like it's almost like, you know, how Jalen hurts on the Eagles. Like they bring in AJ Brown and, Zach Pascal and like now they have all these weapons where the, the other team can't guard all these weapons. And I, I think with Drew being more accurate than Sean is right now and his ability to see the field better, I think his height gives him a little bit of that advantage and just having a stronger arm, being able to get the ball there faster. I think that is going to make a huge difference next year. And I think, you know, Penn State in the next year or two, you're going to see them in the college football playoff, even with only four teams. Uh, I know they mentioned in the broadcast that, oh, if oh if we had 12 teams now, Penn State would have been there like four out of the past six years and kind of makes you be like, oh, yeah, that kind of stinks and, and everything. But, man, it's just I'm happy to be where we are at after like, the 2014, 2015 season. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this, like the level of football that we're experiencing now is almost unfathomable, uh, to consider, you know, where we were at in, uh, kind of the early years of James Franklin's tenure. So, you know, that's some important context that I don't think that we should forget. Um, and you know, as far as Penn state's position, in kind of the pecking order of the Big Ten, I saw um, a a comment on Reddit of all places that I think actually described it pretty well um, after the games of this past weekend played out. And it was that, you know, the top tier of the Big Ten is obviously Ohio State and Michigan. Like they're clearing away kind of the elite tier of the conference. And then right underneath them is Penn State all by themselves right now. And then from there, there's a little bit of a drop off and then you have the rest of the conference. And I thought that that was actually pretty accurate because, you know, the Big Ten West right now just 
does not look like it's up to the standards of the Big Ten East. I anticipate that whoever comes out of the East is going to win the championship game um, rather handily, and my belief in that was reinforced by Michigan State taking down Illinois, which I was actually really surprised about. Uh, but you know, with all that happening, I actually did feel like that was pretty accurate. That you know, Penn State is right on the heels of those two teams, and when they play those two teams. Um, they're expected to lose and they did lose this year, but they're at least in the upper third or f- even quarter of the conference. So they're right where they kind of want to be, where they have all this young talent just kind of primed and ready to explode on the scene, not only in just Drew Hour and the freshman running backs, but you have a ton of youth on the offensive line that's getting a ton of uh, reps right now. You have some young guys at um, a very thin linebacker group this year, which has gotten a ton of experience and has gotten better over the course of the season. Um, you have some young safeties, some young uh, defensive backs. Uh, obviously, we're going to have Kalen King back for another year. So, I mean, everything is kind of shaping up nicely, like you just uh, kind of laid out there for the next year to to be something that's potentially really special for Penn State. So, I mean, obviously, they're like the major hump is Ohio state and Michigan. So they're going to have to get over that hump, but they're likely going to have the tools to at least give it a, a decent shot. Yeah, I think so. And part of me is just like, Oh, we should just like jettison the, the big 10 West be like, Oh, go, you can go join the big, the big 12 and <laughs> go, go play over there. And I think our conference would almost be better with like less teams in it. And like the more quality teams <laughs> kind of like the, the big, I like that the big 12, there's only 10 teams and they all play each other. I, I like that aspect of it because you see a, a big 10 West team every single year getting to the, you know, big 10 championship game. And they're right. always like the fourth or fifth best team in the conference. And they just yeah. get whooped. So like, it's, it's almost makes the game not as fun to watch. Yeah. And, you know, you know, there's right. And there's also some matchups that, you know, given the current structure that we just don't see very often. I mean, um, you know, Penn State has not played Wisconsin that many times over the past handful of years. I mean, obviously they played them last year, but the only time that they played them before that, I think, was in 2018. And then before that, it was 2016 for the Big Ten Championship game. So, you know, you have these matchups that, you know, Penn State fans and other Big Ten fans can enjoy, um, you know, given that Wisconsin historically is one of the better teams in the Big Ten West, but Penn State just doesn't play them that often. So I'm a big proponent of kind of dissolving the current division structure, kind of letting these, um, these teams kind of play each other more often, uh, kind of get some of these Big Ten East teams, which just are constantly cannibalizing each other, get them more games against teams again in the Big Ten West. Let's get a little bit more um, openness with this. I mean, I'm just all for that. Yeah, I think it's going to be really tough, though, with the the, the amount of teams because no one is getting kicked out of the, the, the Big Ten. Like, we said kick Rutgers out years ago. That still hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we have USC and UCLA coming in 2024. So that's going to bring it up to 16 teams. And like, you're not, you can't play everybody. There's only 12 games in a season. So you have to have a division of some sort because not everybody plays everybody. So I think you're going, but does, does the concept of a division even make sense when two teams are in California? 
Yeah, I mean, you could sit. Maybe that what they'll do is maybe they'll move like Purdue over to the east, and then like have USC and UCLA in the west, in hopes that that brings up their their level of competition a little bit more. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it it's crazy to think that you know when the when these divisions were formed. Um, you know, when, when they looked at the West, it was like, okay, well, this is going to be kind of, uh, at least from like a 30,000 foot view, this is going to be kind of like a, a two man race between like Wisconsin and Nebraska, because Nebraska was still believed to be pretty good when they came into the conference. And obviously they had their appearance in the big 10 championship game and all that. So, I mean, it's not like they've been, bad this whole time but i mean obviously they've taken such a big dive that it's uh, almost been like wisconsin or bust because i was broken through to the championship game a couple of times and lost and all this stuff so i mean yeah i i think that you know there needs to be some more balance introduced how they plan to do that with these two uh teams out west coming in i don't know but um i just you know it, it's just hard to continually go through this brick wall of like, okay, well, even though we're the third best team in the conference right now, because we lost to this one team in our division every single year, then we're just basically playing for the scraps of the big 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I have two, I have two different train of thoughts on this one. I love playing either Ohio state or Michigan at home every year. Those games are just fun to go to because usually we're trying to upset the other team. So it would right. kind of stink not to have that game at Beaver Stadium. Right. But let's say next year, Ohio State goes undefeated and our only loss is on the road at Ohio State. Now, if we don't play them and we win all of our games and we're also undefeated, we get to play Ohio State on a neutral field as opposed to in the shoe. So that could you know, create a new dynamic of, oh, it's it's not like, oh, if you had the home game or the away game, because let's be honest, we would not have done as well if we were in the shoe this year. Like we had Beaver Stadium forcing six false starts or delay games. And that, you know, gave that took points off the board because Ohio State was trying to go for two and that forced them to kick extra points. So that made a difference. And, you know, we're going to miss it. We might miss out on some of those games, but you have how cool would it be to see Penn State, Ohio State or Penn State, Michigan on like a neutral field? at the big 10 championship in Indianapolis. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's like what we're talking about here. And that's, uh, kind of like what I'm talking about is that, you know, with the current structure that just can never happen. (laughs) Yeah. So there's pros and cons just like most things in life, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they decide now with throwing USC and UCLA into the mix of things. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know what the what the best solution is. I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be some shakeups with uh, the two teams coming in. Uh, it's probably going to upset a lot of people, like most <laughs> things do with uh, college athletics and big, you know, big money making decisions and things like that. But you know, we'll uh, we'll just kind of roll with the punches, just like when the when the divisions were set. Yep, and uh, we'll roll with it. Um. Any other players you want to give a shout out to in this game that we didn't talk about? Let's talk about the insane athleticism of Denai Dennis Sutton. Uh, you know, big man getting up for that uh, tipped pass to join 
in the no fly zone celebration with his uh, <laughs> interception on that fourth down stop. I mean, that uh, I I don't know like when the last time I had so much fun watching the Penn State defensive line because it just seemed like it was just a party at the quarterback. Um, you know, guys just flying everywhere, everybody getting in, getting in on the sacks and um, and everything. So it was just super fun to. Um, see that play out for Penn State I mean it just like from uh you know after that one drive where it just seemed like the defense just kind of slept walked uh through that series of play to let Indiana score in the first quarter I mean from that point on it was just like pure domination so just so much fun to watch um super happy to see guys like uh Koziah Izzard um and others getting in on the the sacks and stuff like that so that was super fun to see yeah, it was awesome. And one more shout out I want to give is for Jake Penniger. I he, that's the first time he hit a 50-yard field goal in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> you know, it, it might be mean to say, but when he hit that field goal, I was like, "Oh man, well, now everything is going right for Penn State." Yeah. And let, let's be honest, that's the way you want to go into the locker room on the road. Let's say we miss that, and then Indiana's like, like, okay, we're only down two touchdowns, and we're still in this, and that just kind of, you know, kind of shut the door and said, this game's this game's over. You're you're not coming back in, into this, right? And not only that, but he hit that field goal after Theo Johnson dropped what was almost a sure touchdown. I mean, I think he. Uh, just kind of took his eyes off the ball for a few seconds or just even a split second. Uh, maybe was thinking a little bit about that late hit that he took earlier on in the game. But, I mean, he dropped that ball and Penn State couldn't uh, get it into the end zone. So that gave uh, Pinnaker the opportunity to kick that. So um, just big for him to you know go out there and give Penn State any points um, after that drop. Yeah, I remember just watching that. Like once the ball left Clifford's hands, I'm like, touchdown. Like, Right. No way he doesn't catch this. He is so open. And it was just like he was expecting to get hit. And he was like looking around. I was like, dude, you're wide open. Just keep your eyes on the ball. Now, obviously, when you're running that fast and getting to your area, you're expecting to get hit, especially since Sean like put some more air under it because he knew he didn't need to like have a tight window and like throw a dart. He just kind of lofted it up there and. Yeah, it's it's a bummer Theo didn't realize he had, he had as much time as he did because that would have been a really nice touchdown and he would have been a perfect five for five on the day and two right. touchdowns. So that would have been great for your second string tight end. Yep. Yeah, but you know, those those drops, they they happen in college football. So I mean I um I said to I said to my dad afterwards, I'm like, he's not gonna drop that again. Like he's uh and then he, you know, he caught his like very next pass for a touchdown. So I think that's just a, a moment that he obviously wishes that he had back. Uh, but you know, just a bummer in the moment, but no harm, no foul. Yep, exactly. Are you ready for some players of the game? Yes, let's do it. And um so uh, you know, and everybody listening at home probably uh don't know this, but you know, we might as well just let the cat out of the bag. So Vince and I have been kind of uh, trading back and forth, just players that we claim uh, for our players of the game, because there's just been one guy who's been so obviously dominant that we're like, all right, you can have him this week because I took X player last week. Uh, so this <laughs> week 
I got first dibs on my player of the game for the Bird Brawler Award. And I mean, there's really only one guy that this can go to, and it's Katron Allen. Um, you know, a, over 150 yards from scrimmage, uh, just an absolute rock solid presence at the RB1 position, just showed great vision and patience and balance and getting those tough yards after contact, keeping the chains moving. That's the kind of stuff that offensive lines feed off of. And Penn State was able to just continue to build momentum until they were just almost an unstoppable force moving the ball down the field. Um, So, you know, and even outside of that, getting involved in the passing game and making some great plays after the catch. So it's, uh, you know, it was an easy choice this week. Obviously, this was a complete team performance, but Katron Allen shined the brightest, so he gets the Bird Brawler Award this week. Yeah, definitely a well-deserved candidate for sure. Uh, He was definitely on my list of what I was looking for for the finale fighter, but since he's taken, I got to go to the defensive line. And there were some other candidates. Linebackers had a good game. I thought uh, Dominic DeLuca made a couple awesome plays. There was someone trying to block for one of Indiana's players, and he just shoves this guy like five, ten yards backwards. That was really impressive. And then later on the play, not not that play, but a, a couple minutes later in the game, you see 34 diving and recovering, you know, a muffed pump by Parker Washington, which is kind of uncharacteristic of him. But just to have that heads up and awareness and nose for the football, that could have gave Indiana a lot of momentum. Could have made Penn State, you know, get the jitters and start to feel nervous. Be like, oh, no, this is 2020 all over again. We're, we're in a dogfight. Uh, he sh- he's one of those guys who he shut he shut that stuff down. So he he made a couple great plays. But, yeah, I'm going to go with the, the defensive line. You had uh, Adisa Isaac, two tackles for loss and a sack. You you had Denny De- Dennis Sutton. Uh, he had a nice tackle, the nice interception. But – I'm going to give the Fidali Fighter Award to Nick Tarburton. He had three solo tackles, two tackles for loss, was moving the team backwards all day, a sack, and that's why he earns my Fidali Fighter. Awesome. Yeah, he was he was a monster. He absolutely blasted Jack Tuttle on that one sack. I mean, he just came through and lit him up. So yeah, huge props to him. Um, you know, he's he's a guy who isn't, I feel as celebrated as uh, like Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson, just because they're, you know, the starters at those positions and stuff. But I feel like Tarburton has, uh, you know, done a really solid job pretty much this entire season has really done his job well. So yeah, awesome to see him have this kind of performance. And so just glad that he's uh, getting recognized on this pod as well. Yeah. And Chop Robinson's another name, right? Uh, Jair Brown had a nice, some nice tackles today. Uh, oh God. Yeah. And he Kobe, came through Kobe, for that. Kobe King led the team with seven tackles and had a tackle for loss. Jalen Reed had four solo tackles, a tackle for loss. Like everyone was just flying over the field. Now right. this was, this was different than the Penn state team. We've seen other games now, maybe do you think this is more of a situation where Penn state looked at the film and saw a big weakness in the offensive line and said, Hey, we're playing aggressive. We're pinning our ears back and just going for the quarterback and trying to tackle the running backs along the way. Do you think this is something they're going to implement more or was an Indiana specific game plan? I think you're going to see a bit more of this down the stretch. Um, And I think it's, it's two things. I think it was the game plan because they saw, you know, um, 
kind of a, a weakened passing attack uh, with their number one receiver out. So they trusted the secondary and those DBs to kind of lock down everybody else who was uh, still out there for Indiana. Um, I think that they felt uh, like they had the upper hand uh, with their defensive line over Indiana's offensive line, especially if they brought in an extra blitzer. So I think that they found some success with that early and then just decided to play that hand over and over and over again. Now, I think that Penn State, uh, with their defensive line, should have a similar advantage in all of their remaining games. So I think you're going to see more blitzing and more pressure brought like this um, just because they, again, have so much confidence in uh, Joey Porter and in Kalen King to kind of lock down um, those wide receivers and stuff like that. And I I think that we're seeing this now because they couldn't do this kind of stuff against Ohio state and Michigan. Like those offensive lines are, are too good. Those receivers and those playmakers for both of those teams are too good to just leave them one-on-one all day. So I think this was matchup specific but I do think that you're going to see this uh, continue for the rest of the season. Yeah, and uh, I, there were a couple of nice plays that Indiana made. Like Jake Tuttle had some good passes. Uh, some good runs, too. Yeah, some good runs. Uh, yeah, that was like the focal point of their offense today. And and Henderson, Josh Henderson had a few good runs. He averaged 6.3 yards of carry on seven rushing attempts. So, But overall, we, we, we shut them down today. And, you know, if you're playing a better team like in Ohio state, you, you're going to get burned on those. Cause if Indiana's burning us some of the time, the, the Buckeyes would have just burned us that much worse. So you, right. you, you're not going to see that much against some better quality opponents, but yeah, it, it worked really well against Indiana today. And uh, Joey Porter, I felt like when I was watching, I didn't see him all game. So that that's just a tribute to his coverage. Like, I don't think Tuttle even, through his way. Right. Yeah. Like he almost, I, uh, like, doesn't show up on the stat sheet here. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's just, he's just that, uh, good in coverage. Um, yeah. I mean, Joey, I mean, can't say enough about him. I mean, the kind of guy who's like going to be an all American, uh, you know, high draft pick sort of guy, which I think is awesome for, um, you know, some, some Penn State corners who have found their way into the NFL. I mean, I think that they're going to have um, kind of a nice continuation of guys between him and Kalen King, and they have some other young corners uh, coming out of the program. So they're set up pretty nicely. And uh, I know I texted this to you before, but I saw a mock draft of Joey Porter going to the Eagles, and I got a very big grin on my face because thinking about him and Darius Slay um, at the cornerback slots makes me very excited. That makes me very excited too. I would love to see see him in Min- Midnight Green next to Slay and Chauncey Gardner Johnson and Avante Maddox. That that would be just that would be a dream come true to see a, another Penn State guy like Miles Sanders doing very well on the Eagles. And he does Joey Porter does show up in the stat box. He had one tackle today, so ah. no pass defense. But like that, that's just that's just a tribute to he's that good because right the quarterback's not even looking right even bothering so (laughs) yeah right so yeah i think that uh you know like i said before i think that this is another great example of why 
Penn State is kind of putting some of those uh, past loss streaks behind them and are finding the ability to bounce back after an in-conference loss, which um, is exactly, you know, what we wanted to see because like this has been Penn State's Achilles heel dating back to even 2017. So the fact that they're kind of getting over even that hump is a great thing. But Vince, do you have anything else uh, to add about this game before we talk about some other college football happenings around the country? Yeah, I think we should move on to some other ranked matchups around the country. There was a lot of good football this weekend. There were some upsets. So if you didn't get, if you're busy this weekend, this is your time to catch up. First, we'll start off with the Big 12. Number seven, TCU. They looked like they might have been, they might have had their first loss of the season. However, they were able to come back at home and beat Texas Tech 34 to 24. Number 18, Oklahoma State lost on the road at Kansas 37 to 16. Number 13, Kansas State was upset at home by number 24, Texas 34 to 27. TCU is going to be on the road at Texas next week. That's where game day is. Do you think TCU can stay undefeated and run the Big 12? I do. You know, I'm starting to become a believer of the Horned Frogs. I mean, they, uh, you know, they look like they're ready. You know, they've had some moments to get them battle tested. Um, They've uh, won all of these difficult challenges that have come their way. So I actually do like them. in Austin next week. And I think that we might be looking at a big 12 team in the college football playoff for the first time this year. Yeah. I think there's a lot of potential. Uh, I do think winning at at Texas is going to be a tough task. I feel like Texas kind of slumped a little bit in the middle of the season. And now they're kind of getting into that groove where they're playing at a level like they did when they almost beat Alabama. So I do think Texas has a good chance to pull off the upset next week especially with college game day being there. So that'll be a a game that I'm watching next week. Uh, We'll move on to the Pac-12. Number eight, Oregon. They're looking like a college football playoff team after their loss to Georgia early in the season. They just smashed the Colorado Buffaloes in Boulder, 49 to 10. Washington was able to upset number 23, Oregon State at home, 24 to 21. Number 14, Utah beat Arizona at home 45 to 20. And on to our pseudo Big Ten watch, we had number nine USC pulling off Cal at home 41 to 35. And then number 12 UCLA beat Arizona State on the road 50 to 36. I USC and UCLA, they better get their defenses figured out by 2024, or the Big Ten teams are going to have a field day with them. <laughs> yep. So. Uh, look out. You got a couple of years to prepare. Yep. Moving on to the ACC. We had number 20 Syracuse get upset. They lost at Pitt 19-9. Number 22 NC State was able to hold off Wake Forest. Number 21 Wake Forest at home 30-21. Number 17 UNC survived on the road versus Virginia 31-28 to to move to 8-1. And this was the the big shocker in the ACC, number four Clemson, not only lost, they were smashed by Notre Dame, 35 to 14 at Notre Dame. What are your thoughts on that and how could potentially impact Penn State heading into potentially an Orange Bowl if they went out the season? So, 
Yeah, you know, there there were there were two games in this that I wanted to bring up, which I want to play out a potential scenario for you. Um, that loss to Notre Dame, in my mind, eliminated the ACC from the college football playoff because I still think that Clemson. Show. Yeah, um, I think that Clemson is still going to win the ACC, but I still think that uh, even with that conference championship. The committee's not putting them in because they got absolutely walloped by um, an unranked team. So that to me eliminates them. Um, I think, and also with the way that Georgia handled Tennessee, I think that this paved the path for two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff. Um, and so hear me out here. Um, <laughs> you know, when we're, we're looking at like who's in the driver's seat in all of these different divisions, you've got Georgia and LSU kind of on a collision path for the SEC championship game right now. Um, it's looking like LSU is probably going to win the rest of their games as long as they don't have just an absolute, you know, kind of breakdown of execution after that win out over Alabama. Georgia has been taking care of business all year um, and they passed their biggest test, really shutting down just a just electrifying offense uh, with Tennessee. So we're looking at probably Georgia coming out of the SEC as the champion and as the number one seed. Now you have uh, whoever comes out of the Big Ten East, um, either Ohio State or Michigan. Let's say uh, you know that team then wins the Big Ten championship game, finishes the year undefeated, and then all of a sudden they're ranked uh, number two. Um Let's also say that TCU finishes the year unranked. Um, and if they win at Texas and they win the rest of their games, um, you know, it's going to be hard for the committee to keep them out of the college football playoff, even though there's been kind of a, uh, um, kind of a, a, a slump of Big 12 teams in the playoff. And I actually misspoke earlier. I forgot about Oklahoma uh, making the playoff a couple of times. So my bad there. But so then there's one slot left available. And so the teams that we're talking about are either um, one loss, Ohio State or Michigan. You've got one loss, Clemson. You've got one loss, Oregon. Or one loss, um, Tennessee. Now, we know that the committee loves Ohio State and Michigan. Um, you know, they've, they've ranked them very favorably. Obviously, they've been in the playoff uh, kind of alternating spots now over the past couple of years. Um, so if they play close, you know, maybe if we're looking at like a 31 to 28 win either way in that final game of the season between those two, and they go on to win the big 10, get into the college football playoff with where they're ranked right now, I could very easily see the committee say, you know what, Michigan, let's say they lose. Michigan is still one of the four best teams in the country, even though they lost. Um, you know, if we're looking at them versus all of these other one loss teams, um, they played Ohio State close and all this stuff. They're the number four team. So now you have a playoff field that's set at, you know, Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, and Michigan. And you know what that clears the way for? A Rose Penn Bowl. State trip to the Rose Bowl, right, where they would probably either play Oregon or USC. So that is the scenario that I kind of concocted in my head after this past weekend's events. And I 
don't think it's that far-fetched, you know, just given how the committee has liked to rank both Ohio State and Michigan, even after a loss. So uh, what do you think? Am I crazy or do you like this? I think you're a little delusional there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the the Big Ten playoff football committee, they, they love Michigan. They love Ohio State. They definitely get favoritism in, in some ways. But do you, do you know what else gets favoritism? The SEC. They, they get lots of favoritism. You and think they're I, getting two teams? I, I think yes. And I, I have some interesting questions. Uh, I want to ask you after we we get over our, our last two SEC games here. We'll, we'll go over these then. So Tennessee lost on the road at number three, Georgia, 27 to 13. Dogs look good, took care of business. Number six, Alabama loses at number 10, LSU in overtime where the Tigers went for two, converted in overtime to steal that victory in Death Valley. And there's just, Lots of scenarios that can happen here. So you could potentially have Georgia winning out and then, you know, either LSU or Ole Miss or Alabama, whoever's playing in the SEC championship game, they have two or three losses. But then you have a one loss Tennessee who only lost on the road at Georgia, which is hard to do. It's tough to win on the road in the SEC. Or maybe you have... LSU winning out or Alabama getting to the championship game. And let's say Alabama wins and Alabama's only two losses are a last second field goal on the road at Tennessee and an overtime loss on the road in death Valley on a two point conversion. Could, could you see like an Alabama being sec champion with two losses and not getting in or LSU, let's say they somehow beat Georgia and that's Georgia's only loss of the season, you know, and then you have a one loss Tennessee who beat LSU if they went out, but then you could have two losses and LSU is looking like a Penn state almost of 2017, where they had an uncharacteristic loss early in the season against Florida state. And, you know, we had our whole fiasco with Pitt where we kind of had a fluky loss. We were a different team at that point in the season. And, you know, if they're playing that game in October, there's that's a blowout. They don't lose. So, and you you can say LSU is definitely a different team than they were in September. So, I think the SEC is going to get two teams in over the Big Ten. Like, there's just so many scenarios where they've kind of beat up each other, and I think the eye test is going to say that they are better than Michigan or Ohio State. See, I don't, I don't buy that, and the reason for that is because. Either one of those two teams, even if they win the SEC, which I think is highly improbable just given how Georgia has looked, they would still have two losses. And we haven't seen a team with two losses get into the college football playoff yet. So just by that metric alone, I think that kind of eliminates them. And I I mean, that is just a byproduct of them beating each other up, uh, being in the same conference and stuff. But even if like LSU, let me put it this way, like if LSU manages to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, like that could throw a wrench in this whole thing. I mean, maybe we see precedent just go out the window and then they make the field over a one loss team because they're the SEC champion and stuff like that. But like I, like I said, I mean, we just haven't seen a two loss team get in yet. So, I mean, is Alabama going to be considered like, of course, because they're Alabama, but 
they're not in the driver's seat anymore. So they're not even probably going to make the championship game. So we're talking about a non-division champion Alabama with two losses. Like, there's no shot that they make it. And I think LSU is going to get handled in the SEC championship game. They're going to have three losses. So that eliminates them. So I just, like I said, I mean, I think that, you know, historically, yes, the committee has loved the SEC, but the committee has not seen an SEC like this where Tennessee is looking like the second best option in the conference and Alabama, um, you know, all of a sudden is not even favored to win their division. So that's why I'm not, I'm not really buying like a multi SEC team field this year. I would be more uh, I, I I could be convinced more to believe that we don't see any two teams from a conference this year over two teams from the SEC because I think that um, a team like Oregon might sneak their way in before that happens. But that's just me. Uh, I I disagree. Like, can you imagine them keeping the SEC champion out of the college football playoff, especially if it, if it ends up being Alabama and they kind of have those two? But it's not going to be them. It could, it could LSU, be. how LSU, like they, look, they, at, look at, look at LSU's remaining schedule. They've got Arkansas, which just lost to, I mean, who, who did they just, they lost to Liberty. Then they have Liberty, UAB. Liberty. Yeah. So Arkansas just lost to Liberty. Then they have UAB and then they have Texas A&M, which is just an absolute dumpster fire right now. So unless they just, you know, shoot themselves in the foot, they're winning their remaining games and they're going to the, to the championship game. Like Alabama no longer controls their destiny there. I'm, I'm just saying it, it could happen. So l- let me throw this this out here. So let's say Georgia wins out. And do you think they would take an Oregon in over a Tennessee whose only loss was on the road at Georgia? And it was only by two touchdowns. Whereas like Oregon got smoked like, what was it, like 56 nothing in the first week of the season? Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember what the what the scoreline was, but so if you're if you're asking me, like if a one loss Oregon, which I mean, let's say, I mean, does does the pack does the Pac twelve have a championship game? I always forget. They that. do. They got rid okay. of their divisions though this year, so there's not a north and a south anymore. It's right. I'm not sure how they do it. They just randomly play nine <laughs> other eight or nine other teams, and however that math works out, they somehow all get the eight or nine games, and then they just take the two best teams with the best records. Right. Okay. Not sure how they figure that out, but yeah. Yeah. We leave them that up to them to decide, but yeah. So if, if Oregon wins their remaining games and let's say that they, uh, come out at the end of the season at 12 and one with a PAC 12 championship, I think that the committee would have a hard time putting an 11 and two Alabama, over them considering the fact that they have those two losses and one of their losses is against um a non-division winner in tennessee yeah i I think i I think since they did lose to georgia and that was their only loss and that was on the road too i think you could see them getting in over somebody like an oregon or a michigan or ohio state if ohio state loses at home Versus Tennessee losing on the road at Georgia. I, I think that's worse in my opinion. So I would give Tennessee the nod or over Ohio state because, you know, Georgia's won the national championship the past year. And so, you know, they're the defending champs. And if you only lose to the defending champs, 
I think you deserve to go over an Ohio State losing at home to Michigan. So that's just, that's just but my thought let, process. And if yeah. you have LSU beating Georgia, one, like LSU should not be out of the national championship because their their win their loss early in the season was kind of fluky. And then they lost at Tennessee, which is a very good team whose only loss was to Georgia. And then they beat Georgia. Georgia beat Tennessee. Tennessee beat LSU. So like there's just a kind of cycling effect. It it seems to be most of the time whoever went is at home wins for the most part. So that that plays a big that's like a big advantage. Then you have poor Alabama. No, I shouldn't say poor Alabama. I don't feel bad for them because <laughs> they've won so many times. But they had two tough like if they would have had Tennessee or LSU at home, there's no way they lose that game at home. Like those are two very loud stadiums and that made a difference and in a close game. So, so like if LSU wins and then I think they have to take Georgia with them. And I think LSU has a good chance to, to make it to the college football playoff. Cause they're just like See, the defending uh, national champs. And then yeah. if, if Georgia wins, like we would expect is the most likely scenario. You have Tennessee. whose only loss was to the national champs on the road in their house. Like, you know, I just don't think the big 10 is quite up to the level of the SEC. I, I've kind of reversed my opinion on that from earlier in the season. So I, I, I do think the SEC is the clear and better division. They, they, they've had no teams with like all with b- bad losses. Like all of these losses for the most part have been very close losses. So I, I, it would be a lot easier if we just could let eight, eight teams in and we could just, that make it eight to 12 teams would make it so much easier. But yeah, this is uh <laughs> This is fun to d- debate and speculate who deserves to go in. Uh, I'm me, definitely yeah. more in the SEC me, route. You're more in the Big Ten route. Right. So let me let me ask you this, though. So I think everybody would kind of agree that Tennessee came down to earth in this game against uh, Georgia. Like their their offense, um, you know, just couldn't overcome the Bulldog defense and stuff like that. And, you know, their one loss being to the national champion defending national champion at home like yeah that's gonna factor in it there's just no way that it 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 can't um so let me put this scenario in front of you though so tennessee lost that game by a pretty healthy margin like it looked like at no point in that game did they have a real shot at winning it so michigan goes to ohio state loses by three points or less like we're talking about, like I said, like 31 to 28, like it's just going back and forth, like last team who has the ball kind of possession and they're ranked like number three at that time. So it'd be like number two versus number three in that final game. So their loss against Ohio state points wise is closer than Tennessee's loss at Georgia. And they're both on the road. So you have an 11 and one Michigan and an 11 and one Tennessee in those scenarios, you would still take Tennessee. I think I would. Okay. They Fair enough. Win, they have wins over Alabama and LSU who just beat Alabama. I think those wins mean a lot. Yeah, I think that's fair. So go ahead. Yeah. Like Michigan doesn't have to play Alabama or LSU or Georgia. Like that that that's like a pretty tough gauntlet, whereas Michigan's only hard game was Ohio State. So, you know, you have you know, three really tough games versus only one really tough game. So I'm going to go with the team who 
won two out of three brutally hard games as opposed to the team who lost their one chance at a brutally hard game. Yeah, I think that that is fair. So, you know, I think that um, like either way, the committee is going to get absolutely like flamed for yeah. uh, like who they pick because I mean, it's like, you know, how do you, how do you possibly pick uh, sort of deal? But I mean, it's impossible to not pay attention to the number of ranked wins that Tennessee has had over this season. So mm-hmm. I think in that scenario, um, yeah, they probably would lean towards Tennessee, but I, uh, I, I still kind of hope that my scenario, <laughs> like with Ohio State <laughs> and Michigan, plays out because I'd love another uh, Penn State trip to Pasadena. Yeah, me too. And and let's be honest, Tennessee could lose. The SEC is a tough conference. They could lose another game, or LSU could slip up. Georgia could slip up. TCU could slip up. <laughs> but wait, Vince, let me lose. let me let me put this in front of you though. So Tennessee's remaining games are Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Do you think they're losing any of those games? In, in all likelihood, not. But it, it could happen. It's not outside I, the realm of possibility. Yeah, you, I, I guess you're Missouri, right. So. Missouri almost beat Georgia. <laughs> like <laughs> they played them really close. I mean, yeah, but Kent State also put up like 20 some points against Georgia, too. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying crazier things happen. Either way, but uh, yeah, uh, this this has been fun to debate. Were we unranked Um, when we beat number two Ohio State? What's that? Were we even ranked when we upset Ohio State in 2016? We were not. We were not even ranked. So, yeah, there you go. There's a possibility there that. Anything, anything can happen. It's college football, man. Like crazy things happen. But I would take Tennessee. Yeah, you're right. I would take Tennessee over if they went out. I would take Tennessee over Georgia winning out, or not Georgia. Sorry, um, Oregon winning out. Who do they still have left to play? Um, I can I can check really quick. Here I got I got it. Uh, they still have Washington, which. Uh, Wow, yeah, they they actually have a pretty uh, tough slate of games left. So they've got Washington, Utah, and then Oregon State. So um, they're they're probably going to be favored in all of those games, but none of those are a gimme. Yeah, they usually have a hard time with Utah because Utah is a really physical team, and they're right. always giving them a hard time. But uh, Oregon so. State, I think they win that one. Washington is pretty good too, so I think Washington. Well, they probably won't give them as much of a run because they're at home versus Washington. I think that would be a lot harder in Husky Stadium because that is very loud there. It's one of the loudest stadiums in college football. So, But they're at home and they're in Austin, so I think they'll, they'll have a good chance. So I, I would say their toughest opponent in, of those three would probably be Utah. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I like, uh, yeah, LSU and Tennessee – both of those teams uh, have a much better shot of winning out than Oregon. I, I bet you the the like college football playoff committee is just like TCU and Oregon, please lose, and like Georgia win out, and <laughs> just rooting for everybody to lose. That way, they can just pick like the SEC and like Michigan and Ohio State, and, like two like they always do. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they would love to do that. But yeah, either way, if, if we take care of our business and we went out, we're we're going to a near six bowl. It's going to be right. Either the Rose Bowl, which thankfully that's not like one of the two playoff bowls for the college football playoff or the Orange Bowl. So those either either game that that would be awesome, and I would be over the moon to see Penn Agreed. State. Agreed. Yeah, like could you could you imagine uh, 
like a Drew Aller starting Penn State football team against like USC in the Rose Bowl. That would be awesome. However, let's be honest, it would probably be Sean Clifford. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine like Sean goes in and then like maybe he gets like Drew goes in later in the game, kind of like Trace did when they benched Hackenberg. And then yeah. and then just like Drew lights it up and we're like, oh, should have played him all along and we lose by right. the touchdown or something. Like right. I can totally see something like that happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, all I all I have to say is the yeah, if if we get to the Rose Bowl, like let's have our ducks in a row here. Like we want to win that one. <laughs> like this isn't this isn't like the tax slayer bowl where it's like we can bring in Trace McSorley and be like, all right, here, here's your chance. Go do something, kid. Like, yeah, we we want to come home with some hardware from that one. Yeah. So we, we talked about a lot about the, the national uh, landscape of college football and who we think is going to make the playoffs. We'll, we'll head over to, to the Big Ten and see how things went this week, weekend. Uh, number five, Michigan beat Rutgers 52 to 17. However, Michigan was down at half 14 to 17. For one second, I, I thought to myself, how funny would it be if, Michigan loses to freaking Rutgers like on yeah. the road. And that's how they like lose their season at Rutgers. But then right. I also remembered we were leading them at halftime, 17 to 16. So I was like, okay, Michigan's gonna clean things up at halftime and then they'll get rolling. So, yeah, I mean I it was just like a matter of just like <laughs> right. Yeah, it was just but gonna be a matter of Michigan like remembering, like, oh yeah, we're Michigan and we're really good and we could just run against anybody that we want to. And then that's what they did. Yeah, but for one second, I had that scenario in my head, and then I just like slapped myself in the face, and like that, that'd be too hilarious. Like, there's no way. Uh, <laughs> number <laughs> number two, Ohio State uh, was at Northwestern, which Northwestern got the first score in this game. They were up seven nothing. However, the Buckeyes got back on track, and they won twenty one seventeen. Nebraska was just doing Nebraska things this week. They lost a close one at home to Minnesota, twenty to thirteen. Purdue's offense kind of laid an egg offensively and lost at home to Iowa 24-3. Maryland, who we'll be seeing next week, lost at Wisconsin 23-10, and that touchdown was pretty much in garbage time in the last few minutes of the game. It was 23-3 at one point, so it kind of makes you wonder what was going on with Maryland this past week because they've been a pretty good team this season, so that'll be interesting to see what Maryland team we get at Beaver stadium next week. And our last one, just showing big 10 East supremacy, Michigan state after losing eight players on their defense and five of them being defensive starters, they upset number 16, Illinois on the road, 23 to 15. What were your thoughts on the outcome of that game? I was very surprised. Um, just because I like we've seen what strong rushing attacks have done to Michigan State over the course of this season, uh, Michigan included. And I up to this point, I had kind of thought of Illinois as kind of like uh, like a Michigan light of sorts in that, you know, they have a like a solid rushing attack with Chase Brown. So I thought that they were going to pretty much control this game from the jump. Um, and just, uh, you know, kind of wear down the depleted Spartan defense. But, you know, it just like, uh, just kind of goes back to what you were just talking about where, you know, like crazy things happen in college football. Um, 
And, you know, what I think is, uh, what, what's kind of crazy too, is that, you know, I think there was, there were probably a couple folks who were a little surprised to see Illinois ranked behind Penn state in the college football playoff rankings, uh, given that Penn state had, um, two losses on the season. So kind of goes to show that they kind of got that one right because Penn state looks a heck of a lot better than Illinois now. Yeah, we sure do. And, you know, props to the college football playoff for getting that right. And, respecting that we only lost to two very good teams. So, you know, kudos to them. Do you think uh, Illinois can bounce back and give Michigan st- or uh, Michigan a run in the big house next week? Uh, No, I think that Michigan, like they do everything that Illinois does, but better. So, I mean, um, I think this is going to be kind of, uh, you know, rushing attack versus rushing attack. But I think that uh, Michigan has the horses to really kind of run down that rushing attack and uh, not render it completely inert, but enough that Michigan's probably going to win that game pretty comfortably. So you don't think it'll be like a one score game? Nah. Yeah, let's be honest. The the Big Ten East, they're just going to mop up. So, yeah, I don't expect Illinois to be able to compete with the caliber of those athletes. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I just think that Michigan just overall, like, when they want to, they can turn it on to a level that like only Ohio state can really go toe to toe with them. Yeah. Uh, unless they're sleepwalking in the first half, like they did against Rutgers. <laughs> right. But yeah, good stuff. So anything else that you want to chat about or should we get out of here? We've been talking long enough. I, I think it's time to peace out. If you'd like to support the pod, please tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoyed the pod, please leave a five-star review so that other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us. Interested in new episodes? You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening, and we want to remind you that we are the Nittany Blues Podcast. See you next time.